This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. In today's brief, we'll talk about tens of thousands of civilians forced to take up arms and Russia's fight with the moon. I'm Yulia, and today is Monday, August 21st, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported more moderate losses among Russian forces at the end of last week, announcing that 480 Russian troops were destroyed on Thursday, 460 Russian troops were destroyed on Friday, and 460 Russian troops were destroyed on Saturday. Artillery systems continue to be a primary target, however, with 71 destroyed over the same three-day period. Three Russian anti-aircraft systems were reported destroyed on Saturday alone. Ukrainian forces also reportedly brought down two Ka-52 alligator attack helicopters early on August 17, one in the Bakhmut area and the other near Robotone. I guess it was a rough morning for Russian aviators. Should have stayed in bed. According to Andriy Yusuf, Defense Intelligence of Ukraine spokesperson, more than 200 soldiers have surrendered to Ukrainian forces in recent weeks, many of them voluntarily using the Khachujit I Want to Live app. Yep, there is an app for that. The Economist wrote on August 16th that Ukraine has tried various approaches in the counteroffensive launched on June 4th and is starting to figure out what works. Experts and military strategists cited in the article, Nico Lange and Sir Lawrence Friedman, agree that the momentum has started to shift to Ukraine's favor over the last two weeks and slow progress is being made. The pace is restricted by the extensive minefields, but precision artillery strikes and the destruction of Russia's logistical infrastructure has made a notable difference. The Institute for the Study of War, ISW, reported that Russian Colonel Alexander Khodakovsky has suggested that Russia freeze the war in Ukraine along the current front lines, saying that Russia is unlikely to be able to fully defeat the Ukrainian military soon or occupy major Ukrainian cities, and suggested that, quote, Freezing the conflict could sufficiently weaken Ukraine while allowing Russia to exert more influence. End quote. Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of the private military company, PMC, Wagner Group, made a similar proposal back in April, and the ISW has assessed that a temporary ceasefire and protraction of the war will only serve to allow Russian forces to reconstitute and the Kremlin to wear down Western support for Ukraine. Ukrainian National Guard Colonel Mikola Urshalovich announced on August 17th that, quote, the Special Operations Brigade Azov has recovered and has begun carrying out combat tasks in the area of Serebryansky Forest, end quote. In Eastern Theater of Operations, Russian forces attempted repeated assaults in the Kupinsk area near Sankivka in Kharkiv Oblast, as well as in the Liman area near Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk Oblast, in the Bakhmut area near Bohdanivka and Orihovasilivka in the Donetsk Oblast, but were unsuccessful. Failed Russian advances near Marinka and Avdiivka resulted in significant Russian losses. In the southern theater of operations, Ukrainian forces continued to conduct offensive operations towards Melitopol and Berdyansk, consolidating positions and conducting counter-battery fire. 
Colonel Urshalovich reported that Ukrainian forces, quote, have entrenched themselves at the taken positions and repel counterattacks by enemy assault groups which attempt to regain the lost ground, end quote, near Orozhaina in Donetsk Oblast. The GSAFU's August 17th report stated that Ukrainian forces have successfully advanced south of recently liberated Orozhaina. According to Operational Command South spokesperson Natalia Humanyuk, Ukrainian forces' counter-battery operations are, quote, quite powerful, end quote, destroying 10 boats that were being used by Russian sabotage and reconnaissance groups on August 18th. The boats reportedly contained 40 Russians and various military hardware. The ISW reported that Ukrainian troops had advanced in the area of Robotone in western Zaporizhia Oblast, and Ukrainian sources claimed that Ukrainian forces were able to seize control of a significant portion of the settlement by taking advantage of a Russian troop rotation. There is more to this story, but we're going to hold off on sharing it just yet, out of respect for operational security. Russian forces attempted to neutralize the threat by bringing Ka-52 helicopter into the area, But Ukrainian troops were prepared and brought down one of the helicopters, causing the others to retreat. On August 18th, Ukrainian forces successfully broke through a minefield in the area in the direction of Tokmak, demonstrating military gains that the ISW is calling, quote, tactically significant, end quote. In the Black Sea, Russia's drone attack on Odessa overnight on August 16th marked the seventh time Russia has targeted Ukrainian ports since pulling out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative a month ago on July 17th, according to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Natalia Humanyuk, spokesperson for Operational Command South, reported on August 18th that Russia has dispersed the Black Sea fleet between the southeastern coast of occupied Crimea and Novorossiysk in fear of Ukrainian surface drone strikes. Russian military vessels are reportedly trying to hide behind the areas used by civilian ships. Next up, the home front. The Security Service of Ukraine, SBU, arrested a man believed to have been working for Russian military intelligence for several months and accused of filming a local military base in Kyiv Oblast and providing information about Ukrainian military units and Kyiv's energy infrastructure. According to the SBU, the Russian military was particularly interested in the locations of the city's electrical substations and bases where Ukrainian equipment was being repaired. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense, MOD, reported on August 17th that Ukraine will likely be able to secure enough fuel for the upcoming winter in spite of the war, noting that in addition to its gas reserves, Ukraine has been successful in mobilizing its mining sector to ensure the supply of coal for thermal plants. Martial law in Ukraine has been extended until November 15th, as has general mobilization. Moving on to the temporarily occupied territories. Representatives of the Occupation Administration in Horlivka, in Donetsk Oblast, reported that they can't contribute manpower in a new wave of mobilization due to heavy losses, and according to the National Resistance Center, more than 20,000 local residents have been killed after being forcibly enlisted into the Russian army. Apparently, occupation authorities are worried that another round of mobilization will cause social unrest in the area to escalate. We reported a few weeks ago about a new textbook being issued in occupied Ukraine and in Russia which praises the so-called special military operation and describes Ukraine as a, quote, ultra-terrorist state, end quote. And now the Moscow-appointed Occupation Administration is being briefed on new standards for the accreditation of educational institutions and schools, quote, integration into the Russian educational system, end quote. 
According to the UK MOD, Russia is working to create a pro-Kremlin information space in the occupied territories of Ukraine in order to, quote, erode Ukrainian national identity, end quote. Well, that doesn't sound like a practice of genocide. Senior officers of the occupation police in Russian-occupied Enerhodar were severely injured in an explosion at their station on August 18th, which appeared to be the result of a drone strike, according to Ukrainian military intelligence. Ukrainian Interior Minister Ihor Klemenko stated on August 19th that the Kahovka hydroelectric power plant and dam is beyond repair after 11 sections were destroyed during the explosion caused by Russian forces this spring. Klemenko added that as a result of the Russian terrorist attack, 180 settlements were affected by the man-made disaster, with floodwaters contaminated by 100 tons of lubricant leaked from the power plant's engine room. At least 34 people were killed and 28 injured, with 39 people still missing. Nearly 4,000 people and hundreds of pets had to be evacuated from the flooded areas. Speaking of man-made disasters, let's talk about the Russian Federation and defectively occupied Belarus. Russian lawmakers have introduced a measure that would ban photos and videos showing Russian military locations and deployments, specifically prohibiting the distribution of, quote, videos or photos that can be used to confirm the defeat of an element of the Russian military, end quote, according to the ISW. Newsweek reported on August 17th that, per sources among Ukrainian leadership, Russia plans to launch their very own offensive in October, laying the groundwork for a major push in the spring. Self-proclaimed president of Belarus and perpetual background character Alexander Lukashenko has admitted that Russian units entered the territory of Ukraine through Belarus at the beginning of the full-scale invasion, but he doesn't consider himself in any way responsible. Right. Cool. A drone struck the Expo Center in Moscow overnight on August 17th, 18th, causing an explosion. That afternoon, 2,000 people were evacuated from the Moscow International Business Center after reports of an alleged drone attack. The VTB Arena Plaza shopping center was also evacuated. On August 19th, the Russian MOD claimed that one or more drones had attacked a military airfield in Novgorod region, that's almost 700 kilometers from the border with Ukraine, causing a fire to break out and damaging aircraft. The remote airfield is used by Tu-22M3 strategic bombers. Ukrainian sources report two strategic bombers were destroyed while Russian authorities assured it would buff right out. Russian analysts once again express frustration that Russian forces haven't even tried to increase security at their airfields. Drone and missile strikes on Russian territory have become more frequent over the last few months and are strategically important. UK defense intelligence posits that Russian President Dictator Vladimir Putin almost certainly assumed that the invasion of Ukraine would have little direct effect on Russian citizens. Oops. Roscosmos released a statement on August 19th that Russia's unmanned Luna 25 spacecraft had, quote, ceased to exist as a result of a collision with the surface of the moon, end quote. Quick sidebar. I'm kind of surprised they didn't announce that the moon had been successfully intercepted by the Luna 25, to be honest. This was Russia's first moon mission in almost 50 years, and the civilian space program has been in decline for a while, especially as state funding is redirected towards the military. According to Roscosmos, Luna 25 crashed into the moon after losing contact and spinning out of control. Same bitch. Same. 
If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. Next, European news. The European Commission announced 135 million euros in funding previously meant for Russia and Belarus would be reallocated to projects in Ukraine and Moldova. Ukraine will not have completely fulfilled all seven EU recommendations presented to Kyiv to launch accession talks by October, according to Deputy Prime Minister for European and Euro-Atlantic Integration, Olha Stefanishina. She did add, however, that Ukraine should be able to ensure the implementation of the agreed legislation and institutional steps by that period and should also be able to restore the electronic declaration of assets for public officials on time. The process of de-oligarchization is difficult and often painful, but it is ongoing. Polish authorities reportedly uncovered a Russian plot to disrupt the flow of arms to Ukraine, saying that of the 16 arrested, 12 were Ukrainian citizens who have been recruited by Russian intelligence services. And the plot posed the most serious Russian threat to a NATO country since the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Several hundred far-right Alternative for Germany, AFD, party members and supporters attempted to disrupt German Chancellor Olaf Scholz's speech on Friday, booing Scholz's government's support for Ukraine. Now let's talk about the news worldwide. The governments of the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia, joined the G7's declaration on security guarantees for Ukraine on August 17th, announcing the move in a joint statement of support for Ukraine, pledging to keep aiding Kyiv until its victory in the war against Russia. Hashtag squad goals. Turkey and Russia had a tense chat about the incident in which Russian forces fired on and detained the bulk carrier Sukro Okan, which is owned by a Turkish company, though flies the flag of Panama. During the conversation, Turkey reminded Russia that obstructing the navigation of ships in the Black Sea is unacceptable. The Wall Street Journal reported on August 18th that there is concern among U.S. government officials that Turkey has become a hub for Russian sanctions evasion, even having a so-called ghost fleet of hundreds of vessels for shipping out Russian oil and port calls for Russian vessels carrying weapons and sanctioned goods. Sweden will be the next nation Ukraine negotiates with for a bilateral agreement on long-term security commitments within the framework of the G7 declaration, as announced by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky following talks with Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson. A survey conducted by the UN found that 82% of internally displaced Ukrainians and 76% of Ukrainian refugees living abroad want to return to their homes in Ukraine. Notably, 15% of respondents said that they intend to return within the next three months. A Telegraph investigation found that Russian companies, including those under sanctions that produce rocket launchers, armored vehicles, and fighter jets, have received tens of thousands of shipments from China since the full-scale invasion began. One company, identified as a toy wholesaler, sent 1,000 drones to Russia two months before the full-scale invasion. When asked about the likelihood of holding peace talks with Putin, Zelensky responded, quote, We have one document. We have a peace formula. We have one goal, peace. We have defined how we see it and are ready for an open discussion with our colleagues. What's best for peace is to have it on the same side, on the side of a just peace with the full recovery of Ukraine's territorial integrity, end quote. He also ruled out the idea of exchanging anything 
for Ukrainian territory. Finally, let's talk military tech. Germany announced the delivery of another military aid package to Ukraine, including two IRST air defense systems and roughly 4,500 rounds of 155mm ammunition. Citing drone footage and weapons experts, CNN reported that Ukrainian troops likely used domestically produced versions of U.S.-made cluster munitions during the liberation of the village of Urojaina last week. Marconi Industrial Services, a private Italian company, has repaired and modernized seven M109 self-propelled howitzers for the Ukrainian armed forces. For free! The howitzers were completely inoperable upon receipt, and the total amount of the repairs would have been more than 20 million euros. Mille grazie, amici italiani! Ukrainian forces reportedly recovered an unexploded missile manufactured in May of this year and indicated an unusually short expiration date of September 12th. This suggests that Russia is running low on stocks, particularly of some of the more advanced weapons, and is having to produce them more quickly to maintain their supplies. And troops are under pressure to fire missiles as soon as they're manufactured. Mikhailo Fedorov, Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister for Innovation and Minister of Digital Transformation, announced that a joint fundraising initiative by United24, Comeback Alive Foundation and Monobank to buy 10,000 kamikaze drones reached its goal in three days, having raised 235 million hryvnia. That's about $6.3 million. The Ukrainian Navy announced that Turkey has started production on a second Atta-class corvette for Ukraine, and the keel has been laid at one of the shipyards in Istanbul. Swedish Prime Minister Christensen said during the press conference with Zelensky that Ukrainian pilots have begun introductory training exercises on Swedish-made JAS-39 Gripen fighter jets. So-called familiarization training on the Gripen has been on the docket for months, though the question remains whether Sweden has extra planes to transfer to Ukraine. Some assessment. Sweden most certainly does not have enough of the last Gripen E to supply to Ukraine. They only started receiving those in December 2019 to replace the early CD models. It would be interesting to know how many serviceable CD versions could be made available, though. The Gripen is a more modern fighter than almost anything Russia could field, and if we're being honest, it's a more modern aircraft than the F-16. Its robustness and ease of maintenance would make a particularly good fit for the Ukrainian Air Force. Swedish Air Force philosophy is such that their fighters are designed to operate from remote locations like straight stretches of highway or small airfields, and have a modular maintenance system that sees everything a fighter could need packed in a container that can be transported to whatever remote area the aircraft is operating from. The Swedes are good at flat-packing things. Let's hope the manual includes written instructions along with the illustrations. It is important to note that there are way more F-16s that could be made available to Ukraine once they have pilots and maintenance staff trained in their operation, but the F-16 simply doesn't have the capability of operating from remote locations like the Gripen does. Ukrainian Minister of Defense Oleksiy Reznikov has said that Ukrainian pilots have already begun training on F-16 fighter jets with a minimum expected training period of six months. The chief of Ukraine's Air Force, Lieutenant General Mykola Oleshchuk, has said that Western-made fighter jets have already made it to Ukrainian airfields. And that's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. 
Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please, consider supporting our work on Substack. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. До зустрічі!